Welcome back to the Movie Voyager podcast. We've got a special edition at the end of 2023. Sad to see another year go, Tim. It's just uh, one year closer to death, as I like to say. Um, every year for my birthday, Eesh. which is a sad, sad thought, but uh, that's, you know, that's how I live my life. Um, but we're going to be talking about our favorite films from 2023. We're going to be going our top five, starting with the fifth, and then we're going to save the worst film pick of the year we've seen for last. And these are mostly, these are all going to be films that are housed within 2023. I know Tim has one on his list that uh, we'd work out some technical details because it had a limited release in 2022, but it was a full release in 2023, which we're going to count because there's a lot of films that have been like that. So let's get into this. Tim, how, how did you feel? How did you feel about the overall year of 2023 um, as a moviegoer? 2023 made me hopeful. Um, you know, I feel like we're, we're kind of getting back on the, you know, 2021, 2022, we're still kind of coming out of COVID in yep. a way. And, um, 2023, you've obviously you've got Barbenheimer in there. You've got the new mission impossible film, um, that saved Hollywood's booty as Steven Spielberg said, um, 2023 just had me hopeful for what, uh, movies could be not just on the big box office splashes, but also with the, the indie films. Um, and even I actually do have a streamer on my list for my top five films of the year. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm really hopeful for what uh, movies are going to be in 2024, uh, new original ideas, unique ideas, or even fresh takes on true stories. Uh, it's a year where we saw a lot of biopics um, or movies based on true stories. Um, I, I, I'm excited for, for what's ahead. Yeah, for sure. I think um, 2023 resolved a lot of things, especially with the writer strikes, the actor mm -hmm. strike, the directors also getting a new um, agreement, which is only going to last a few years. I think there's a lot of work to be done in that space, and there's a lot of change that has come in the past couple of years with AI and, um, and a lot of questions about how artists are being treated and a lot of questions about which studios are merging with which studio, um, especially with the recent events of... Um, Warner Brothers and Discovery, or not Discovery, they're already merged. Warner Brothers uh, Discovery, but yeah, potentially merging with Paramount. I think we're going to start seeing a lot of consolidation um, from these brands that are struggling. And I think you're going to start seeing some players like A24 and some others come out of the woodwork and uh, kind of try to uh, put their stamp on the industry that has uh, been like. Um, flailing a little bit since COVID and not really being able to find their footing. I feel like this year they found some. I'm a little skeptical whether or not they're going to take away the correct lessons from things like mm -hmm. Barbenheimer, uh, especially with their ideas of coming up with a whole like universe around Mattel stuff. That's not what made Barbie good. And I, <laughs> I don't, they're not going to have the same success if they, they continue to try to do that. So to me, it just feels like a money grab, but hopefully at the end of the day, um, eventually we can get back to some better storytelling. And, uh, um, as I said in my, uh, Zack Snyder film that we did last week, if you want to check that out called Zack Snyder's visual fallacy, I feel like the early two thousands, um, gave a lot of directors and a lot of, uh, studios, the wrong idea about, um, visuals, um, and epic visuals, beautiful visuals, beautiful world rendering renderings, essentially being created hollow, um, to audiences because a lack of meaning and depth and storytelling to go along with those visuals. 
And uh, I, I, I feel hopeful in the same sense that Tim does with Barbenheimer that you get those visuals, but there is a lot of meaning and there's a lot of like mm-hmm. weight behind those. Whether yep. or not the studios understand that is another thing altogether. Um, but a, a, as we go forward, I hope we remember um, the visuals. And it reminds me of a film I saw 2023, which not my top five list, which it could very well have been. But Godzilla minus one, not mm. the best visual effects. There were issues because it was a lower budget film, but it did not hamper the story of the film and it did not ruin my experience with the film. And that should that should tell you something. And um, I think a lot of audiences have that uh, um that already in them they just don't realize it yep. makes sense. so yep. yeah so 2023 hopeful skeptical a lot of a lot of craziness again um and hopefully 2024 we're gonna have some more films but i feel like with the strikes and stuff it's gonna be interesting to see kind of how we go i feel like we're probably like a year away from uh some stuff oh there's there's good films on the docket but let's get into our uh first um pick for the number five slot tim what was your fifth best movie this year Fifth best movie this year in this one, I argue, is a 2023 film. So if you look on Letterboxd, if you look on Google, Wikipedia, they say 2022. I don't know why. So it it premiered at Tribeca Film Festival in 2022. Did not get a wide release in theaters, though, until April of 2023. So I'm counting it, which is Ray Romano's directorial debut, Somewhere in Queens. Uh, Somewhere in Queens is a comedy of sorts uh, based in, you guessed it, Queens, New York, where Leo and Angela Russo live a simple life in Queens surrounded by their overbearing Italian-American family. Uh, Essentially, their son, whose name is Styx or nickname is Styx, finds success on his high school basketball team um, and starts to look into college. Um, And uh, it just navigates typical family drama issues in a really fun and charming way. Um, it just was a movie that made me laugh, made me smile, uh, you know, hit some emotional points at first and just, it was such a heartwarming film. I don't think it got a whole lot of attention this year. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of people that I've talked to that have seen it, which is really too bad because it was definitely uh, earning of my number five spot of the 2023 best movies of the year. Nice. I, I think I remember hearing about that, but I've not seen that. Yeah. Highly recommend. Um, and even like it, it, where they're an Italian family, mm-hmm. um, really kind of pokes fun at some of the cultural stuff too, which I love. Like, um, you know, they, they run out of meatballs at the dinner table and the girl, the friend who's new to the family is like, Oh, I'm going to get some more meatballs. And like, Oh, you don't know what you've done. Now the grandmother's going to be cooking meatballs for everybody. And now we all going to have more meatballs. And like, um, <laughs> just, just some really funny situations that I think it, it took what a lot of people loved about stuff. Like everybody loves Raymond and brought that into a movie context that works really well to where sometimes you bring TV show ideas into movies and it doesn't work all that well. Yeah. Um, but even Lori Metcalf, I really love her. Um, you know, she was the mom in Lady Bird, um, which is what I mainly know her from, but obviously she's had a long running career. Um, just some really charming performances and uh, yeah, just overall a good time. Sweet. Yeah, that sounds like a fun time. I'll have to go watch that. Um, that's an interesting one for the fifth pick. And I, I kind of went a little bit opposite of a direction for my, uh, fifth best movie of the year. One that I would say, um, 
I'll, I'll get into it because I think there's going to be people kind of roll their eyes at this. Um, for my fifth best um, the experience, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Mm, yeah. Good pick. Yeah. So I would say when I'm looking at this list, I don't know that I necessarily, there's some that I picked that I, I genuinely think that they are the best films of 2023. Um, but I also think there's like, there's a couple that I picked that um, were my best theater experiences that I really enjoyed the most. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I know that there's other movies like um, past lives, I believe, or some others that could probably and probably should take the place of the fifth place of the guardians of the galaxy volume three. But for this one, um, you know, it's the end of the trilogy of the Guardians of the Galaxy for the MCU, for those of you who have been living under a rock. Um, and it's it kind of is, it wraps up this, probably one of the better trilogies um, and running series within um, uh, Marvel, I would say. And the only Marvel film that actually did well this year um, in 2023. And mm. I, I really think it's, it's arguably probably one of the best wrap-ups of a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, just with, they went hard for the end of it with some of the emotion. Yeah. With, you know, having to subject the audience to animal cruelty. <laughs> was just like, you know, I mean, like really going hard on some of that horror with that. But also still playing into the fun and... Um, uh, and uh, like warm things that you get from the Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy in the first place. But at the same time, in the end, you know, because uh, uh, the main character, Peter Quill, loses um, like his uh, his partner, uh, Gamora, who are both in love with each other. And then uh, like another version of her comes uh, like, long, you know, another version of her yeah. comes from a different time period and they don't have any connection. And he's still trying to go after her and all that. But at the end, instead of having them come together, like uh, like usual, the movie does is something different than most would do, and um, have them have them go on their separate ways, yeah. and kind of find their own different place because they're different people at that point, and they don't they don't try to do too much with it. So I think um, James Gunn, who just decided to do something completely different than whatever you know MCU is doing, and you could see that work in this, and mm-hmm. it's his last one with the MCU. He's off to. DC land now. And uh, I just think it's probably like highest level of emotion, human experience with the MC within the MCU. And yeah. uh, it's a movie basically about a bunch of aliens and a bunch of like, you know, misfits. So Such a fun ride. yeah, it was. So to me, that's the fifth. It was incredibly mm. fun to watch. It was, um, I had a lot of heart uh, for, yeah. for a superhero film for like one that's like, connected to a lot of IP. So yeah. Yeah, I loved Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and uh, I'm not a big Marvel fan, but that one was incredible. Just a really fun theater ride, too. Um, laughed a lot. Had some really great sequences, like the No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Um, just mm-hmm. a great movie. I think I have that, like, my my number seven. And now, important disclaimer that I should make, like, there's some movies like Past Lives um, that did not play in a theater near me. I don't think they're available on streaming yet that I haven't seen yet. So once I see the films of 2023 that I want to see, like, I'm planning on watching Maestro tomorrow, um, this list could change. But at this point, where we are in 2023, this is where my list is at. 
Yeah, we're going to be, of course, talking about those as we're getting closer to uh, award season and kind of going through because a lot of those are going to end up in awards. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll talk about those. But these are like our personal, I would say, personal top five mm-hmm. that um, we went to the movie theater and we were impacted in, in some sort of way, yeah. which when you watch a bunch of films, it kind of takes a little bit for um, some to kind of move you in a little mm-hmm. bit of ways to be feel special in a sea of meh, I guess, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, so that's number five. Um, what was your fourth best film of the year? So number four, funny enough, is actually not a movie on sound theaters because it didn't go to theaters. It was a streamer on Hulu, mm-hmm. um, which is Boston Strangler. Uh, so this is a film starring Kira Knightley based on a true story. Um, being originally from New England, I'm a sucker for Boston stories, obviously. Um, but yeah, really about these two reporters uh, who broke the story on the Boston Strangler and really put in a lot of work to take him down. Um, and uh, yeah, I watched this on Hulu early in the year. Uh, the moment it finished, I texted a bunch of friends and it was like, Boston Strangler on Hulu go watch it now. Um, just a really great performances. Um, Chris Cooper's in there too. Really loved his work in that. Um, and a Carrie Coon, great job with that. The score was really good. I was talking to a composer friend of mine about the score. Um, and, uh, the composer, I didn't really recognize a whole lot of his work. Um, and even the, the director on this, you've got, um, Matt Ruskin, who's not done a whole lot before this. Um, but I was just really impressed with this movie. It was captivating, uh, moved along really well at a great pace. Um, and, uh, just fascinating, riveting, uh, telling of a true story, um, that I just found myself wanting more, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes when you turn this kind of stuff into series, uh, it kind of feels like it was stretched out too much. I liked the fact that this was a movie that left me wanting more. I would rather that than it really could have been a series in a way. And I probably would have been felt like, ah, they just dragged it out just to get content out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but Boston Strangler number four for me. Nice. It's interesting that you mentioned that new England, um, esque, uh, kind of setting, because uh, number four for me is The Holdovers, which takes mm. place in a campus in the New England area. Um, it's a New England prep school, um, and uh, it's this, this this old cranky professor who's been there his like whole life. Um, it's forced to remain on campus during Christmas break to babysit the handful of students with nowhere to go. Eventually, he forms an unlikely bond with one of them, a damaged, brainy troublemaker, and in the school's head cook who has just lost a son in Vietnam. Um, it is a, I would say probably going to turn into a little bit of a cult classic. Mm. It's a super feel good, easily rewatchable holiday movie. Um, one that's going to end up in my rotation and I don't generally have holiday rotational movies and this, it's just an, I didn't know you had holidays. I know that's that's why I was surprised watching this. I felt like I was going back in time from the the fun way that they like at the beginning of the movie. They kind of have like the old um, logos and stuff, like the retro kind of logos for the film companies and stuff. And uh, they even have like the 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 letters and everything moving like it's on film. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while. I had to actually go look it up afterwards because like, oh man, it looks like this. Like, uh, surely they filmed this on film. No, they used Alexa cameras. Uh, wow. uh, like digital, digital airy cameras. And, um, but just a, just a warm 
heartwarming story that also, and this is probably why I like it, it comes in with its the bittersweet aspects of life. You know, the head cook that lost her son in uh, Vietnam and then this kid who... Yeah. You know who has rich parents, but her his mom left his dad, and his dad is actually um, uh, um, in, in like a mental hospital. Did you find out? And um, uh, his mom has married some rich guy, and his they like basically leave him at Christmas to basically go do their honeymoon, like abandoning him essentially hmm. at this place. And the professor has a thing against rich kids and they kind of come together and bond over this um, experience and all that. It's, it's just a, and then at the end it's, it's the perfect way you should end this kind of film in a bittersweet way that um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's perfect. I won't ruin some of the endings and some of the things for it, but you definitely, it's definitely one that should be on your watch list and one that you could watch with the whole family. Um, Maybe not with kids. They got a little bit. They got a little bit of swearing in it, but that's up to you if you decide. Yeah. <laughs> I know some of you have be having your kids swearing at a, a Taylor Swift concert, so that's cool. That's true. <laughs> so okay, so this is number four. Um, Tim, what's your number three pick of the year? Now I wonder how similar our three to one look. It's um, gonna be fascinating. I'm very, I'm very excited. Because number three for me is Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm. Um, so this was an, you know, 2023 was a year of important films. Mm-hmm. Um, this and then there's biopic. another one that we'll talk biopic. about. Yeah, there's another one we'll, um, that I'll talk about later that just were really important films to me from. From things that I learned, uh, it, n- not just about history, um, but also about myself. Killers of the Flower Moon is a movie that, um, you know, obviously deals with a lot of um, prejudice, racism, um, and injustice. And I think it, it revealed a lot to me about who I am and questions about um, how much I care and what are what are my privileges, you know, even in the sense that um, Scorsese himself being a white man is the one telling this story and advocating for these stories, um, and doing so without really fully proper perspective of just how tragic this story is, because there's no way for, uh, him to truly be able to comprehend that. Um, but yet he conveys it in such a great way. Um, you know, there's a, when you dig into the history of this film, um, and the things that were done, it's just crazy to me how the Osage people were essentially written out of history. Um, and so Scorsese really gives a voice to those people, uh, gives a voice to these stories in a way that I thought was really tactful and beautiful. Um, sure. It's a three and a half hour film, but I was there for all of it. Uh, it's not a perfect movie by any means. I definitely had some qualms with it. Um, but I, I know we'll talk about awards later on. I think this could be a sneaky best picture winner. Um, and it's definitely in the conversation. Yeah, I know you and I have some, um, I, I thought it was a great film, but I, I guess I maybe had like a little bit it's a great film. I don't know if it, for me, it does the, the the best picture, but I understand why it could be sneaky and we'll definitely get into some of that on that podcast. 
for me, number three coming in um, kind of goes a little bit towards my um, animated background, love mm-hmm. of animation, and uh, probably not the one Tim's expecting, but uh, Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah, good pick. Yeah, so That's for really me, pick. it's, yeah, I know it's another Marvel one, but to me, it just transcends the 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 mm-hmm. all of that crap that has to do with IP and all that stuff. Um, it's visually spectacular. The 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 various uses of animation um, and styles of animation within it to tell a story is beautiful. And a lot of times, a sequel you just don't see sequels build upon what. Um, the first original ones do and almost take it to another entire level. Now we could talk about some of the things that kind of takes away from the magic is some of the reports of the overworked artists and some people having to quit because they were pushing them to do things at the last second, which um, hopefully is a trend that will undo itself here in the near future of our artists being like put under the gun with work and not being able to have enough time to do stuff, but being forced to do it. Um, and if, supposedly there was a lot of theaters that got like different showings of it because um, they were still wow. working on it even after they released the film. It's crazy. Yeah, but visually spectacular. The story, great. I just feel like animation sometimes can tell stories in a way that live action just can't. And, um, and I, I think this also shows the vast difference, the chasm, you could say, between... Um, like other animation studios like Disney and mm. Pixar. I, I hate to say it. And uh, all the others out there and the style that they've created. They have, they're innovating with the style. They're innovating with how they're telling the stories and kind of getting away from that tacky, like 3D animated look that everyone does and everything looks the same and there's nothing visually interesting about it. Um, yeah. And not only that, they also tell a good story and one that's 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 very intriguing, and uh, yeah, I just to me it, it should be in the conversation for best picture this year, and I know wow. it won't be because they've delegated or relegated animations down to best animated film of the year, which to me is a travesty because mm-hmm. I think animated films are just as much cinema, and maybe sometimes even better cinema than something filmed with a camera. So. That is my wow. three pick. Hot take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's that's our that's my my top three. Uh so uh Tim, what's your number two? Number two is a movie that was the most fun I had in theaters all year, mm-hmm. which was Barbie. Mm. Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Um just in absolute fun time. Um I know some people disagree with the politics of the film. I didn't really get caught up in all that because I think filmmakers say what they want to say and I can have a good time whether I agree with what they're saying or not. Um, you know, it, it had some spots that felt a little ridiculous. I thought, you know, as much as I like Will Ferrell, um, some of his stuff felt a little bit like maybe too far with it. Um, but still, just Greta Gerwig is one of my absolute favorites. Um, everything from Lady Bird to Little Women to this now, and uh, every movie she's made is just masterful. Um, she has such an incredible sense of tone, uh, from every little detail down to the wardrobe, down to the 
um, the color palette. I mean, everything. There's so many things they did with this film that just made it such an absolute fun ride. Um, I don't see it necessarily being wildly successful at the box office, but man, it's deserving of so many nominations or sorry, not at the box office at the Academy Awards. Yeah. Um, but it's deserving of so many nominations, uh, rightfully so. And even the, the, the soundtrack itself, um, it's incredible. And my kids have been jamming out to it. And, uh, yeah, Barbie just Barbie made going to the movies fun again. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of these movies that came out this year, like killers of the flower moon. Some of those movies that like are epic and great to watch. Um, but you're not necessarily laughing a whole lot. Barbie was a fantastic ride. I I agree. Um, and of course, Barbie is my second pick as well. Um, nice. Yeah, so we agree with that. I think Greta Gerwig is probably the top, like top one of the top directors in in Hollywood at, mm-hmm. at this point. And it's great to see diversity at the top, where it's usually, you know, very male dominated field. And it's good to get someone of her um, sensibilities, I guess you could say, um, that really does have a like a very dedicated look at things and she's a writer too like mm-hmm. well, I forget about that like um, I was listening to a recent interview she did with um, James Cameron um, which excellent review or excellent interview that they both just talk back and forth about their films um, and she was talking about how she kind of just ends up backing into films like she doesn't necessarily seek out yeah. to go make them and for the Barbie film it was very similar she um, was approached to write for the film her and her husband or partner um, I don't remember which it is, um, wrote... Noah Baumbach, yeah. Yeah, Noah Baumbach um, wrote for it and uh, at the end ended up getting to direct it. Didn't intend on directing it, but ended up doing it and honestly, like, probably one of the better picks for that. It is a... It transcends and I I know that it won't win big at the box office. Um, I feel like it would be deserving to or the Academy Awards. For, yeah, if not for a, a film that I'm sure we're both going to talk about here in a second. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel without that film, this would be... the, the yep. For me, it would be. Um, I think it had... It transcended what it was about, about mm-hmm. the um, Barbie, and it made it less... While it had a ton of IP stuff in it and had a lot of meta jokes and all of that, it still stuck to not letting that kind of take over the entire film per Mm -hmm. se in the heart of the film that it had allowing the character that she had to kind of like change herself over time, not necessarily even having a villain of the film, even the people you consider maybe like the villains of the film, even everyone kind of had like their own journey of self-discovery sure, and, and changing. And then at that end, I think that that scene where she's talking with the, um, the creator, the creator and trying to figure out like, um, you know what? What was I made for? Do I need to ask permission to be what human? Was I made for? Yeah, which Billie Eilish man like killed that song for yeah. that. For that. Uh, hey, fun Greta Gerwig fact. Did you know that she is supposedly working on a new Chronicles of Narnia movie? I did for Netflix. Very intrigued. Yeah, that should be pretty good. I think that'll be that'll be good. But yeah, she's she's great home run obviously with this film that like could have gone so many different directions because of what it is mm-hmm. and uh and I, it's so stupid some of the 
the the commentary, the political commentary, like Ben Shapiro about this. It's just stupid. The, it's it's literally it's it doesn't bash men. It doesn't bash women in the thing. It's mm-hmm. it's getting down to the root of the issue of where we all find our identities in and questioning um, that the root cause of that, like where um, all the men found their identities in, like Barbie. Like without her, what was he? Or yeah. what, what what were they without their jobs? Which is very clearly about men, and it is it is a great thing to to say for everyone is you're more than all of these things everyone tries to mm. tell you are. And I don't understand how any of that got to be, oh, well, they're just, there's men hating in this. Because everyone yeah, had a redemptive arc in it. And you, both sides had their own part to play in, in some of the issues surrounding it. But um, very yeah. deep film for something that probably did never need to be that deep. So, yeah. yeah. That's why it's on my second. But unfortunately for Barbie... Though it took home the biggest prize for uh, the box office, um, it just couldn't escape the gravitational pull and uh, <laughs> of of Oppenheimer. Which I, I'm going to say, tell me what your number one pick is, Tim. But I, I feel like we both have the same. Yeah, one. my number one pick is a biopic uh, about a man <laughs> in history um, who led to great discoveries, and that Napoleon? would be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Steal my joke, John. I was going to say Napoleon as a joke. Yes, it's Oppenheimer. My number one is Oppenheimer. Uh, oh, yeah, I Oppenheimer don't know. is the only, I think it's the only movie this year that I saw in theaters twice. Mm. Um, so I drove four hours to go see it in Miami and uh, was completely worth it. Um, and even before I saw Barbie, I remember driving back with the guy that I went and watched it with a good friend of mine. And I said, you know, I feel like Barbie might be the most enjoyable, maybe even the better movie of the year, but Oppenheimer is going to be the most important movie of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, Oppenheimer is a movie that I feel like should be talked about for decades to come. Mm -hmm. Um, and really is not just so when I watched it the first time, I watched it more objectively, yep. kind of trying to learn more about J. Robert Oppenheimer. Um, when I watched it the second time, I tried to watch it a lot more subjectively. What is the movie actually saying to me? What is the movie actually saying about me? Mm-hmm. And really, what I found interesting about the movie is the contrast between Oppenheimer and Robert Downey Jr.'s character Mm -hmm. and really who do I identify with more? Am I willing to be cautious, to be calculated, to um, take my time, which is so rare nowadays to do that um, before I make a rash decision? Or am I so consumed with the idea of conquest that I will stop at nothing no matter what the risks are, no matter mm-hmm. what the fallout may be, um, whether that be like something like a nuclear bomb or that be something like a Facebook post or an Instagram comment, like it's so relevant to the political discourse of today, um, maybe in more ways than we would like to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I feel like when you dig deep into Oppenheimer, it's a movie about the current state of our culture in 2023. Yep. Yeah, and what was resulted from that has like created the world that we live in today, and mm-hmm. it's slightly 
horrifying, as like uh, Christopher Nolan called it. It's almost a horror film in nature. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the first viewing. The first viewing, you definitely try to keep up, I would say, with, 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 with what's going on, just so you can understand it. And I was able to pretty well, for a Christopher Nolan film, understand it yeah, the entire way through. Loved it. I think when you do watch it the second time, and this was noted in something I had read and watched, um, that someone made a great point about it. The When you go see a Christopher Nolan film, um, especially this one, it's more than, like, I think he does such a great job at all-around production of a film, mm-hmm. um, from the visuals to the storytelling to the sound mixing to that. And I know some people don't love that. But with this, I think... When you, it's almost, um, it almost kind of plays into one of the songs and what they say in uh, the early part of the film that I think they almost want you to to get with this. When um, one of the professors or uh, says to a younger Oppenheimer, um, asking him if can you hear, can you hear it, can you hear the music, yeah. and cuts into that. And the music for this film, I think it, it wants you. It is getting into that. Um, that that don't think feel it kind of mm-hmm. mentality that has kind of um, signature style of Christopher Nolan, and I think you can kind of ride that wave through it stylistically yeah. to kind of feel it because I think to fully understand the film you do have to um, hear some of those beats that they are doing within the music, and they really help tell the story from yeah. the constant like when you hear that like. Um, thing that almost sounds like just drums like all beating at the same time and later on you realize that it's people's you mm-hmm. know stamping their feet on on that yeah, and that it, was it, devastating and it results in that devastating moment where mm. yeah yeah um yeah and, and that's, I, think, I think that's yeah. where a lot of people get lost with nolan is they try to understand him and really nolan as much as okay, it's great if you can understand him as highly intellectual as he is. Actually, when you watch his films, it's more about what's felt than what's understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Oppenheimer, I feel like, in a way, is a great demonstration of who Nolan, in a way, kind of views himself to be mm-hmm. in that kind of sense. Um, that it is about can you hear the music? It's not about can you read the music, can you hear the music? Yep. Which just beautiful soundtrack. That should, I mean, yeah. if anything's going to win from that, that should win sound like it yeah. needs to win score of the year. It's just like what they did with it was fascinating, and it and it pulls together. And it, I think when you look at the music, it pulls together that um, both competing things that you have going on it with mm-hmm. the beauty, the beauty of science, the beauty of like discovery and all of this stuff that hits along with war and. Um, the uh, I guess the industrial like cold um, heart of American re- you know industrial revolution at the same time merging together to hit it and you have yeah. that violin thing matching with that like repetitive pace that they all kind of merge together into this thing that creates then that nuclear fission and yeah I look I mean it's easy to pick Oppenheimer for the number one slot but there's a reason for it. Um, I know there's a lot of criticisms for the film. Um, number one, that they some people don't like the nuclear explosion. I didn't really that didn't really take away from the film because I think some people going into this film like that was supposed to be the climactic moment, but for me it wasn't. The climactic moment was more the the fallout, especially in that mm-hmm. scene where they're all cheering for him and it all goes silent, yep. and he uh, kind of experiences that nuclear blast at the same time. 
There's also criticisms of this film from not showing the point of view of the um, uh, the Japanese and what they went through, um, which I, I I get it. I get some of the arguments, but within the scope of what this movie was, which was specifically about Oppenheimer, you're supposed to like experience it through him and yep. um, kind of see some of the horrors of that, and you're not supposed to experience it from from mm. that. So. I, while I get it, like there's horrors in it. There are some things with like showing the the genius white man and hit the sad genius white man and the things he's done while these people have died over there, and not kind of giving them credit or so even some of the surrounding um, uh, people near the Los Alamos uh, with that uh, you know got cancer and stuff from the yeah. the nuclear fallout. But I think, it, I, well, yes, but I, I think this was a an important film, like you said. Because it shows us the dangers of of what opening Pandora's box and even going into the future of things like AI and things like yeah. that that we just want to open and we want to keep progressing, but we're not thinking about the the cost that that comes along with it. Yeah. And while it's like it's so cool for some of these these things and technological advances and science and all this stuff, there's a dark side that comes along with that mm. that um, always seems to match it. And um, it's a cautionary tale, and yeah, it's it's a, a haunting film, haunting score, and um, it should win uh, a, its lion share amount yeah. of awards for yeah. for it. Um, Killian Murphy needs to win. Um, mm-hmm. Could at, even see best supporting actor too. Yeah, with uh, Robert Downey Jr. I'm mm. not sure that will happen as much because I think there's some mm. others, but yeah, yeah. It, yeah, I think I think so. And if 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 Oppenheimer wasn't around, I might I might say um, the holdovers. Um, uh, what's his name? Would, uh, uh, would Paul Giamatti? Pick. Yeah, he'd be my pick for it. But yeah, it's just it's a monumental film. And I mean, of course, like making a like a billion dollars at the box office for a biopic that's three hours and it's really like a like a courtroom drama. It, yeah. That is just that it's tells you deal. something. It transcended what it was and. Um, really probably one of Nolan's finest works. It's going to be interesting to see what he can do next because mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's, that's my number one pick. Kind of funny. We ended up on the two, the same at the end, which I kind of yeah. figured we would. Barbenheimer. Now we get to our favorite, my favorite part of this. All right, Tim, what is the worst movie you saw in 2023? Wish I could never have seen Little Mermaid. <laughs> Little Mermaid. <laughs> Little Mermaid. Yep. Um, like, no disrespect to those who enjoyed it. Um, they did a lot of great things. My wife and my daughter very much enjoyed it. Uh, my <laughs> goodness, that movie sucked. Uh, visual effects, performances... Um, do you think the visual effects is what like killed it for you though? Well, I mean, I oh, would say yeah. if the if the story was better, there were some like corny things happening in the film. Yeah. It it wasn't even but yeah. I the mean, most yeah, the visual effects film, t- pull me out of it. You have opportunity to go underwater to this majestic kingdom and the kingdom looks like trash. Like just <laughs> it, it looked nothing dead. about it, it looked, looked attractive. Or, I was like, no wonder she wants to go to the surface to yeah. live. And then we kind of come above water for a while and that was a little better there. But even 
I don't know. It's just not, it's not my cup of tea. What about that but famous he, rock slide scene? The what? You remember where she's like singing? Oh um, yeah, sliding down the rock. And then she just like, yeah. like randomly like slowly slides like, up the rock. The scuttlebutt <laughs> song is the single worst thing I've seen in movies all year. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. And now I'm probably going to have it stuck in my head as I go to sleep tonight. And I will have nightmares. Yeah. Um, yeah, It's not anything that needed to happen. Yeah. And I think the worst thing for that was for me, was like the beginning of the movie actually had some like sick ocean. Yeah, it did. And then it transitioned to like, oh, like just the terribly rendered water. And it just like, it was bad. It it, like immediately was like, oh, okay, here we go. Like, look, I, I thought it was worse than 80 for Brady. And that's saying something. Yes, the AD for Brady was down on my list, but my worst, um, and this comes below Ant Man and the Wasp. Wow, that was that was bad. Was uh, Haunted Mansion? Wow, did you see Haunted Mansion this year? I did not see Haunted Mansion. Yeah, it was. And now I don't know if I ever will. I cannot say that I've ever been bored um, seeing a movie. Um, I can in general, like for the most part, like I can, even if it's a bad movie, like, yeah, I can enjoy it, but I can be like, man, yeah, I'm never going to watch this again. This is just awful. At least, but at least there's some enjoyment in it. This was so bad. I, and I don't know why, because I really liked the beginning because it had a very new Orleans vibe to it. And if, you know, it's uh, based on, um, Disney's, um, haunted mansion, of course, the ride. And uh, you know Eddie Murphy did that that one back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was kind of fun. That had a little bit more joy, a little bit more fun to this. This one was just a just a just, nothing fun about it, in my opinion. It just kind of a slog, and I don't know exactly why. Uh, yeah. But it was just it just kind of didn't take any of the fun elements it had going for it and doing anything with it, and it just made it not fun and pretty. Bore. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my um, my my mom liked the movie a lot, cause, but she also likes the ride. I just I've never been this bored at watching a film before. I'm reading this review on Letterboxd from Houston Coley, who is uh, a semi-popular Letterboxd reviewer who I follow. He says, for about 60% of this, I was convinced I was watching one of the most god-awful pieces of media that's been released (laughs) this year. But the other 40% successfully persuaded me into being like, hey, maybe it's all right. The other 40% is 100% Lakeith Stanfield giving his everything (laughs) to a movie that doesn't deserve him. Yeah, Lakeith Stanfield is probably the only uh, good aspect of it. I mean, it's weird because he had like, you know... Owen Wilson, Danny DeVito, Even Rosario Dawson. Dawson. Yeah. Yeah. Like some good stuff, but man, like I agree with some of the the things that it was really just a story that like was to publicize a Disney ride. And, yeah. and it really was, there's like no central themes to it. It just oh, kind of like DeVito's in this and Jared Leto. What a combo. Yeah, it just, just kind of happened. And I, I don't, um, and I, I agree a lot of like biggest studs of the year. Oddly enough, audience score 84%, which makes sense because there's a lot of Disney fanatics. Critic score, 37%. Um, yeah. That's probably one of the biggest differences I've seen of the year. And I'm definitely with the critics. It was not it was not funny. 
It was not scary. It couldn't figure out what it wanted to be. And I was good for it to pick either direction. It, with the, with these kind of horror films, it, I, I, you either need to go fully towards comedy and it needs to have a lot of comedic reaction to it. Or you need to be scary and like, you know, have enough tension. There is none of it. It, it was just... I mean, the cast probably the best part of it, but just the storyline was just so... Yeah. yeah. So that was my worst one of the year. Um, maybe a little bit of surprise over some some other films like 80 for Brady. But I mean, 80 for Brady, like, I don't know if you could count that as like, it's it's down there at the bottom. But I don't yeah. I don't think you could say it's like the worst film because at least it's like a, it's a semi-weird fun ride, I guess. Yeah. But... Now, if I could give a couple shout outs to some mm-hmm. movies y'all should definitely go see from 2023 that were in my top 10, they weren't in my top yep. five. Uh, the Deepest Breath was mm-hmm. a phenomenal documentary that I saw on Netflix. Uh, highly recommend that one. Uh, that actually, that was number six for me. Almost made my top five. Man. And then Julia Louis Dreyfus's You Hurt My Feelings. It's also another great indie film, similar to Somewhere in Queens that I mentioned earlier. Um, I don't think that's yet. Uh, well, looks like you can rent it on Apple TV, but a couple of honorable mentions there. Yeah, and some of mine too. That if you want to go watch, I, I would say my top ten: Dungeons and Dragons. Um, mm-hmm. Did not do well at the box office, but great fun film. I enjoyed it. It was it was it was well done, and I think it um, um, it would have done better at a different time release. Uh, boy, the boy and the heron. I just mm. it's, it's a great one. Um, Godzilla minus one, oh, great one. Um, probably my favorite horror film of the year is uh, um, Evil Dead Rise. I really enjoyed oh, that yeah. one with the sound design. If you if you kind of like that that kind of that kind of thing, um, and I'm trying to think of anything else that I kind of. I think that's about it. Um, as it's far as year. recommendations, yeah, yeah. So cool. 2023 is in the books. Um, kind of sad kind of uh kind of predictable it's sad that uh this list would have been completely different if dune 2 mm. had released because depending on how good dune 2 is gonna be it might have upset not depending on we know yeah. how good it's gonna be <laughs> it looks great i know they just released a new trailer for late uh recently i'm really looking forward to it march 1st um honestly that's probably gonna be a big movie next year uh, I'm trying to think of any others that might like that I can think of off the top of my head that are going to be that big. This so many year, have gotten moved. Yeah, for 2024. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Avatar got moved to 2025. Mm. A lot of these have kind of gotten moved out. So Dune two, right off the bat, it's a great way to start the year early off. Oh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. That'll be good. Suppose uh, that's inside out two. Years. Inside Out 2. A yep. Quiet Place Day 1. Argyle uh, actually looks kind of funny to me. It does, but it also looks like it could be bad. <laughs> like also it's either going to... Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I might be a dud. Um, quiet Place, are you kind of tired of Quiet Place? No, not yet. I, I mean... I feel like, like, I feel like the, the first one was good and they could have ended it on that and I would have been happy. Yeah. But that's also me. Yeah, apparently we've got a Garfield movie coming out this year. Yes, and guess who's voice acting that? Bill Murray? Mm, who voice acted uh, Mario? Chris Pratt. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like, I love me some Chris <laughs> Pratt, but I think maybe we're giving him a little too much. Yeah. 
Well, that's it for 2023. Thanks for listening to this podcast this year, guys. Have fun with your families. Have a great New Year's. And uh, definitely uh, like, subscribe um, if you're on YouTube. And if you're not on YouTube, it's a little power like power ranking on Spotify or whatever. Move us up the, the podcast rankings, as they say. And uh, we'll see you guys next year.